Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. Uh, my name is Aaron Edwards and I'll be joined by uh, my fellow podcastee, Andy Bannister. Uh, today we're going to be looking at church mission versus parachurch mission. So those of you who may be interested in mission, involved in a local church, wanting to uh, bring resources uh, to that church and help resource the church to resource the people of God. Then there's also these other organisations, these devilish organisations like Solas, run by uh, the likes of Andy Bannister, for example, um, who are doing these things which are parachurch. They're alongside the church. They are not themselves the church, but working with them in some way. There's been often a bit of tension with the, between these two things along uh, along the evangelical historical road. So we'll be getting into some of that stuff in this episode. But let me first introduce my wonderful guest. For those of you who are new listeners, this is the great Dr. Andy Bannister. Hello, sir. Back from Australia. Back from Australia and then a, a bit of vacation as well. Australia was busy. That was a, a big speaking tour and then a bit of holiday. But uh, I love that you introduced me as a guest on my own podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's guest, right. I, while I've yeah. gone, you... It was like a, it's it. a power play. It's a power play. Yeah, what, what it is. I've well, been just... away. I've been on holiday for a couple, yeah, a couple of weeks. <laughs> I come back. The locks have been changed. All the passwords have changed. I'm now no longer co-presenter. I'm a guest. So Part of the Gaps HQ is all different now. That's right. We've just we've gone in a totally different direction. Maybe I'm, um... I'm a power presenter, not the actual presenter. I'm just <laughs> you know, right. outside the outside the camp. But, um, but no, exactly. I think it's a... It's a um, it's a fascinating topic to get into because actually to do the other half of the introduction, yes, okay, you know, I work for a parachurch organization, but interestingly, one that at the same time tries to work with churches. So I've, I've been involved mm. in the past with parachurch organizations. I was back in the day before it all went horribly wrong. I was I was with RZAM and then... Before it went horribly wrong, you were there, I see, right. Okay, I was, I, I just, disclaimer, <laughs> five years after I'd gone, it went horribly wrong. And then you've got things like, like OCA, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, that I, you know, partly involved with as well back in the day. And um, and those organisations tend to be, we put on an event, we put on a thing and, and, and you come to us. Whereas mm. Solas has tried to, we don't always get it right, but has tried to go, okay, here's a local church trying to reach his community. You know, how can we come alongside and, and, and help? So we're sort of, foot in both camps but then you might you're, you're a power power church then that means the power yeah, churches power, and power you've power sold church. out so lots have sold out they're not a pure power church they're a power and power if we church. hired people that only work for the sas we could be a power 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 church oh perfect that's right exactly if right. We're two of us, we could be a pair of power 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 church no let's not go there um <laughs> but you though i was going to say though this is interesting mm. because you also bring an interesting angle to this right because although currently you are uh, you are theologian without portfolio um, I'm unemployed yes I'm, I'm unemployed um para, para unplugged. but back in your days when you were with cliff college i mean that was interesting mm. because there you've got a college which is part mm. of the denomination but is not a church uh, and again sort of partly training people for church ministry but partly training people for outside church ministry so you, mm. you sort of had a foot in both worlds in in some ways haven't you yeah, that's right, and of course, yeah, yeah, it was linked. It was owned by um, a, uh, an organisation um, that is that identifies as a church. That was a correct way of putting it. Um, I, might, I might not necessarily Ooh, call it a church. Now. I love it. Lampstand removal. Um, but yes, I, I think you're right. So, so, and for me, the interesting thing is, of course, my background ecclesially in church has been New Frontiers and a bit of NCMI, which is a similar apostolic network, charismatic to New Frontiers. So. Um, with a massive emphasis on the local church. So actually, I when I went to university, having been in a, a kind of New Frontiers HQ church in Brighton, which is wonderful, um, I then went to university and got involved in the Christian Union. And I came home my first term, after my first term, came back and kind of had to have a, you know, a sit down with my youth pastor, my former youth pastor, who was a bit, you know, disappointed that I'd... Uh, kind of gotten involved in uh, in this nebulous thing called the CU, because why would I be wasting my time on a non-local church project? Now, that was probably because that was a huge emphasis in New Frontiers over the years. It's probably changed, and I don't know, it certainly has changed a lot now. Um, and there's some interesting things about that. There's, there's good reasons why New Frontiers had that focus to say local church needs to be where it's at, like you need to be investing in that rather than giving all of your time and energy to all of these budding you know, Andy Bannister wannabes who are running around starting up their own charities and ministries. I think Terry Virgo's vision, Terry Virgo being the founder of New Frontiers, when he wrote his books in the 80s, Restoration of the Church and things like this, he was trying to say the church is the glorious bride of Christ and needs to be 
basically it needs to be where it's at. You know, Ephesians three ten, the the church, mm. the with through the church, the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God is being made, made known to the rulers and principalities and powers, etc. So therefore, why not? Uh, rather than losing the cream of the crop, rather than Andy Bannister leaving our local church and starting Solas or working for RZ, RZIM, whatever, it would be how can we resource him to be an evangelist from the church to the, you know to encourage other churches and that kind of thing, which is probably where Solas is an interesting, let's say, para para because it is trying to resource the church. And probably back then, I presume there was this more of a loggerheads issue where it's like we like the local yeah. church and just only that. And whereas the the mission agencies were kind of like let's let's do let's get all do, do the exciting stuff out here the exciting mission happens over here the church is just this kind of boring place you go for hymns and uh, a sermon and some tea and cake and tea and cake and these kind of, yeah i mean well solace is unusual because because we were started by a pastor that was interesting so solace's history is back in 2010 it was started by a guy called david robertson who some uh you know listeners to this podcast may be aware of because david is is still going he's down in australia now and uh, quite active on social media quite active in sort of political sort of stuff and public square yeah. so his name crops up but but that was interesting because in solas's dna was you had someone who was a presbyterian pastor starting kind yeah. of solas so i think that that yeah. helped keep it on on track and then as we've refined our calling i think feeling it's very much as you say to be resourcing the local church not coming in and going let's tell you how to do it the difference where things are interesting for us, you mentioned campus groups is interesting because they're one of the places we we do stuff, one of the few places we do stuff outside of churches uh, is on university campuses where we'll come mm. alongside Christian unions and help on things like yeah. mission weeks, events weeks, things like that. Because again, that fits our DNA. If we don't want to start things, we don't feel it's our job to start things, but we feel it's our job mm. to help other things. And one of, one, of course, one of the interesting little theological conundrums you get into as you explore this topic, don't you, Aaron, is, is okay, what is the church? Because mm-hmm. the easy answer is, well, it's the brick building on the corner. That's the church. And so we can now define that as church and things that happen mm-hmm. there are church and things that happen outside aren't. But, of course, then along come things like New Frontiers and other new movements blow that up. Blow that up. Mm-hmm. I was in Ichthus for some years in South London, which was interesting. That started very much thinking of itself as a mission agency. I can remember mm-hmm. Roger and Faith Forster, who started Ichthus, regularly banging on with we are not a denomination ichthus is not a denomination <laughs> you can say that when there's like two of them when there's 32 of them across london that becomes yeah. harder because they wanted to try and be that sort of you know replicating values of course and following vision yeah. and, and if, if an ichthus yeah. church doesn't follow the vision you're probably going to say are you really an ichthus church and then uh, once exactly. you do that then campus group come back to that that's mm. interesting because if you are the gathered community of people in that space, you are meeting together for Bible study and for worship and for outreach and doing all those things. At what point can you legitimately say, well, we are a church. We are gathered here on campus and doing and functioning like a church and looking like a church, We're part of a network. If you're part of UCCF, you've got all the oversight and structures and things. So that just intrigues me. But it, it, I, I, the more I've thought over the years that one explores this stuff, sometimes the borders get a bit a bit fuzzy what i do believe though firmly is god loves the local church even while we have to Mm. figure what we mean by local church and i Mm. think i do to this day get nervous about you know organizations people's names on the door and people wandering off and doing things on their own on their own bat uh, and Mm. so on rather than being grounded in some gathered community of god's people even if today's crazy topsy-turvy world that gathered community might look different. And by the way, the other thing there, one has to be careful. If you get too zippy on, okay, well, we're going to we're going to define church in such a way that a, a Christian union isn't church. Um, I'm, I have some sympathy, but be careful we don't define it in therefore such a way that a group of Christians meeting in a shed in North Korea secretly because they can't meet publicly, mm. we've mm. now defined it in such a way. Well, those aren't church because they don't have the things that we we expect. So. That's a trick. That's an interesting one, though. I, I would actually th- say the North. It's a tricky one. So was it was were love the it. I love it. I love it. I've, I, he who heard it here first. I asked him a tricky one. Aaron Edwards, <laughs> theologian extraordinaire. My, my 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 joy is complete. I've asked them a tricky. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, two things come to mind. Firstly, yes. I'm thinking of uh, an example of Martin Scorsese's Silence, which I was chatting with, about with someone recently, and I used to do it. I used to watch it with some of my students as a kind of topic of discussing pioneering mission and in that film you have these um catholic missionaries who are going to japan and the people there haven't got priests who can administer the sacraments so they haven't been able to like share communion 
for years because they haven't the missionaries have all been killed and they've been in hiding uh, the, the, the believers who are there and so when these missionaries come it's kind of like a desperation oh yes someone who's allowed to administer the sacraments or authorized by the church which is obviously very different in catholic pol- roman catholic policy to um, how we would understand things so i'm thinking of the north korean hiding in a shed in north korea yes we'd want to say that's the church because i think those japanese hidden christians are the church but then you've got to go back to the new testament um imperatives of church governance and it would be very easy of, of god to have gone i've given you the holy spirit like it's poured out upon all of you you know your young men will dream you know dreaming dreams and seeing visions this kind of thing um so you don't really need a leader you don't really need someone to govern you, you you've got me to govern you directly um, and so I'll just let you off you go, go and do it. So there were lots of these pioneer people, missiologists that I used to engage with at Cliff, for example, or have in as visiting speakers who would say things like, isn't it wonderful that the, that Jesus ascended into heaven, sent the spirit, and he didn't give them any directions of how to run the church. He just let them go make it all up. And I was like, mm, okay, mm. he didn't because he lit, he's inspiring it through the Holy Spirit. So it is the spirit of Christ. And then they do go and like write some stuff down for our, for our benefit and for our instruction. So, so the 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 pastoral epistles, for example, and then the you know um, regulations that you see there on leadership, and then you see the stuff in one Corinthians, for example, about meetings and that and order and that kind of thing. That those are things that are part of Jesus's mission to to build foundations in the church through the apostles, uh, in spirit inspired apostles. So mm-hmm. we do have stuff which does make a church a church. I would say which you do need to adhere to. And that's kind of also why Paul, when when him and, and Barnabas go and preach the gospel and a lot of people get saved, they go back to those places you see on the missionary journeys and they appoint right. elders in those places. So why do they do that? Because it's the Holy Spirit's leading, isn't he? Um, no, we still need eldership and governance. God, as a blessing to us, does give us human leaders who are called and gifted and recognize <clears throat> authoritatively there. So yes, Roman Catholics have a massively different elevated view of authority to protestants but we still need to have some way of going there's a leader and i reckon that that north korean yes. <laughs> shed <laughs> probably had a leader, leader didn't it there's someone yes. recognized someone as a leader exactly. and then that's kind of god ways yeah up. i yeah. completely and credit because i was smiling because i completely i completely agree but i think what's interesting is that, i mean a couple of things obviously as mm. we, you and i know there are different models of church governance all of whom take mm. scripture seriously there are some wacky ones that you and i would both look at and go mm. Hmm. Mm. But there are other, there are different kind of structures. I mean, even the whole kind of Presbyterian versus Baptist setup. Do you have all the leadership governed in the presbytery, yeah. or do you have a pastor and elders and membership, priesthood of all believers? You know, and it's interesting. I've been in both those structures actually, and I think there yeah. are pros and cons, and in, yeah. in 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 both of them, New Frontiers, obviously where you are, very easy to look at that and go, yes, we're an apostolic movement. And I, you know, Terry Vogo went to the same Bible college as me. I think that stuff is great. But let's be brutally honest, if you took that model back a thousand years and showed it's Christians a thousand years ago, they'd look at you and go, what? Don't be insane. What are you talking about? Mm. Um, kind of thing. So I, again, we have we have a tendency to sort of baptize our own particular models and go, well, this is the, the only way of doing it. The, the leadership piece, I agree with you. And by the way, I threw CUs out just as a, an example of going, because similar to the North Korean shed, they can have all of those things. You know, the best CUs I've worked with have yeah. got a really good, strong committee. They've got a leader. They've got governance structures. So you would say they are a church. The CSU. I raise church. the question. I think it's. I think it's really interesting. Now, I, I see. I'd say yes, both yes and no. For some, right. for some people, that is their church. And I know some students. I've met students who only go to the CU. Now, I will occasionally, more than occasionally, go. I think it would be great for you to be plugged into another local church here. And usually, the reasons I'll give for that are not because where you're going now is not church. I think it is. It can function as such. I said my, my biggest concern is that where you get churches that are just one demographic and when you've got just mm. students, I think you lose out on the gathered wisdom of the older people that God's put there and, and, and maturity. That incidentally can equally happen in a regular church. So the church we go to in Swindon, Patton Church, part of HTB, wonderful church doing great stuff. I do the ground on a Sunday and go, okay, it's skewed younger Christian and younger families. Yeah. Um, so there's there there are some sort of missing demographics there um but i think that for me the criteria of what makes a church a church which was we're kind of skewing this episode into what is the church i think it's, no, no, it's all we, part of it it's all part of the vibe i think it's a gathered community where you're gathering for worship and teaching and prayer and ministry and outreaching you have structure you have a leadership where you've got mature christians who meet the criteria for leadership leading together and i would also go 
I actually think some kind of wider, some wider structure that you're plugged into is, as we know, the New Testament churches were not mm-hmm. generally in isolation. They were networked yeah. uh, together and the apostles had yeah. that, that over. So whether you call it apostolic or some sort apostolic of overseeing network. role. Well, yeah. You're, talking, you you're, talk, you're talking your way into a new frontiers model there, brother. Yeah, I, I think there's so much that's good there. I've also, without naming examples, I've seen things go badly wrong. Yeah, too, yeah of, those, of course, no those, models perfect. But I, I would say to your um, uh, the thing with the CU is interesting. Just to start, because I think you were were you evangelism secretary at yours? Did you? Did you I would never CU as a student because I never. Oh, because oh, you went to a Bible college, of course. I never. Well, so, I, yeah, I, never so I was two things. I never went to secular university at tw- when I was aged eighteen because. Right. God, a, a God called me somewhere else, and B, I'm so grateful because I'd have made the mistake of going. Well, I think this is what I'm good at, so I'll go, and I'd have ended up sixty mm. grand in debt mm. for nothing. <laughs> That's true. So I went to, yeah. yeah, I went. So I went to theological college age twenty eight, so I never had that. Right. Okay. Oh, I spent so much of my working ministry life, as yeah. well as doing church based stuff, supporting mm. CUs and stuff on campus. Mm. I know well, you have absolutely. I'm, I'm so much for those, those communities. You often get to speak at massive lunch bars, which seem to go really well in Scotland, as, uh, well, all over the place. But I've heard, I seem to, the numbers seem to be really Free food and the chance free to talk food. to non-Christians about the gospel. What could go, what, Perfect. what, what it's like? If, as long as, and, and it sounds like there actually are non-Christians there, because some CU events, historically, it'll be like, there's a big lunch bar, but it's all the CU, and there's like two or three people who are kind of, I'm already a Christian, but I'm kind of just not that committed, and that they're, they're counted as a non-Christian for the numbers or something for the day. I, know. Someone I think not. it's a lot better. I think I, I have the privilege yeah. of working with some brilliant CEUs where they work really hard on on that stuff. But no, exactly. But, but I, is, I have been but, in one. I have been in those kind of meetings too. Or where you get the token non-Christian. So there's like 60 Christians and one non-Christian <laughs> hiding at the they're back. Almost delighted. They're almost delighted that the person isn't a Christian, which you think, that's surely there's something wrong about that. Isn't the point of an evangelistic organisation to actually make them not Christians? They're not non-Christians, but it's almost like, look, we've got a non-Christian here, a scalp. One of my favourite moments, I can't remember if I told this story before on Part of the Guts. When I was in Canada years ago, there was a, a friend of mine who was in a church, you know, sort of New Frontiersy type, that kind of type of structure. They were playing, but they were playing with the, the seeker service thing. Like once a month they were doing, you know, sort of um, uh, a Willow Creek type seeker services. <laughs> really no non-Christians were coming. So, uh, and, and the church kept going around in circles and not really fixing it. So my yeah. friend who was pretty convinced he had some ideas why, eventually went to his next door neighbor and said, hey, yeah, strange request, but if I paid you $100 and took you out for lunch afterwards, would you come to church on Sunday? Because we're doing this thing once a month that we think is super appropriate <laughs> for non-Christians. I'm not convinced, but I'd, I'd love you to kind of want what you want to pay me to come to church. And I went, he went yeah, could you come to church? So he, he was on to good to his word. He paid his friend, he took me out for lunch afterwards, and his friend wrote this big report up on why is a non-Christian. <laughs> This was not speaking my language. It was not. That is amazing. I have. I'd actually wow. be open to coming to something, but but not this. You, you could, can you extend again now for another two hundred pounds? Would you pray this prayer after me? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Jesus. But by the way, as an aside, and I, I said we said right, so many issues spiral off this. One of the things where I think church goes wrong, I think church for me is that community where where people are worshiping together, praying together, and the Bible is taught. When you then try and shift that to do something else and go let's turn this into a you know quote unquote seeker service um mm, one mm. of the reasons why i think it struggles is it's neither fish nor fowl well yeah. it's not now church because you're not expanding the bible or not in that way that i think is helpful and it's not really evangelism mm. either because you're not directly engaging with the, with the questions people are asking now to be fair yeah. you, there are ways there are ways of squaring that circle i think the late tim keller and others have shown, hey, you can preach evangelistically and you can preach in a way that engages with people's questions. But I don't think you need to do seeker service to do that. Um, I don't think you need yeah. to. I think it does seem re- like... Th- recognise the non-Christians in the room. And that's really the main thing. Just be aware of them and the language that you use. Explain things. Mm. Um, the church we go to, again, is actually really quite good on when they do Christian stuff like communion. They do quite a good job of explaining if you're a guest here this is what we're about to do. This is why we do it. It's what it means. Um, and that doesn't then subvert what church is yeah. in order to yeah. try and do mission. No, that's right. That's how, but I think, well, I think the Keller model certainly has been massively influential. I think for good and for bad in loads of, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. in, in different ways, but in terms of just how it's applied differently and, and maybe things work in plush, you know, downtown New York that don't work in other places as well. And, and uh, and also don't fit themselves for a new moment like we've discussed with the winsomeness stuff in the in other episodes. But I think um, for sure there was there was definitely one of the problems I've noticed in UK evangelicalism would be that it affects. Now let's not go into another episode on preaching, but because of the need for the seeker service, every sermon would have that 
angle and it would be more superficial wouldn't it so it'd be we don't want to, we're not trying to edify the saints here predominantly we want to try and do both as you say neither fish nor fowl every sermon will end up being a gospel application which you you know as evangel- we're both evangelists and we, we want to go that's great because if there's any, ever a non-christian in your church you'd want them to hear the gospel and you want them to meet jesus um as long as somehow the saints are being edified and taught and built up and discipled in some other way in the church, that model can work. You could say Sunday morning is our our front room, as it were, or, or our, our kind of you know rather than coming into some other part of the house where the, where the action happens, the kitchen or something. We're coming into this, you know, that was a church actually used those kind of doors, like the different different rooms of the house, kind of analogy to say this is what our Sunday meeting is. It's the kind of coming to the lounge. Then there's the dining room, and then there's the kitchen. I don't know how they all work, but I think the kitchen would be the one where you're getting stuck in and involved in the life of the community. Um, but I do think there is a problem when it does sort of minimise what you can do in a in a Sunday service. And as you say, it probably was bigger in in churches that worked less with parachurches. Because if you if you if there's a parachurch organisation that's really going for it on mission and evangelism, it, the helpful thing is you can work together in partnership and outsource some of the um, things that you're trying to do in house. So, like I said, New Frontiers, the, a great thing was they did loads of stuff in house. But then it probably doesn't work for every church. I experienced really good examples of it. Other people will have experienced not so good examples where a local church is kind of burning itself out, trying to do everything um, because we're kind of concerned that we we don't want to partner with non-local churches so much because otherwise we'll be diluting that great grand vision of the church that we, we want to stand up for. And I think you can do both. If you do get organizations that aren't just kind of picking away, I say the cream of the crop, the excited young missional evangelists to go and go off on their wild adventures and then see the church as this kind of thing that they just kind of touch base on like almost like a battery charging i was going to charge my battery there for a little bit now i'll go off like gallivanting again um and do the exciting kingdomy mission stuff so i think that it there needs to be a relationship between the two that's stronger doesn't there there does and i think as well actually it's interesting you mentioned the, the you know the young enthusiastic evangelistic types as i think you so memorably put it i'm sure that's you know i love the way you theologians use this very precise and careful and nuanced language but the, the what i find fascinating is that is the challenges and the tensions are, are all around this because you have i see there are two tensions one is that if you're not careful the danger is the young enthusiastic evangelist types just go charging off and do their own thing somewhere else and the church is then left poorer uh because of it the flip side of that is i know young enthusiastic evangelistic types who sat in their churches desperate desperate to do something Mm. and they've got a pastor who is doing the same old say well no no what we do in this church we do we do expositional preaching on a sunday morning we run alpha and and that's it young man just Mm. work within that Mm. and it's like there's equally there's equally a challenge on those churches if you've got young people especially young potential evangelists uh, get them out get them working i mean yes it will cause some crazy chaos but work work with them and uh you know i remember you know we've mentioned him of the, in this show before but you know one of the things i appreciate about someone like jay john um who may be listening to this if he's got through the banter at the start is that uh, we shortened it for his benefit today he did exactly this jay time. john you better give us a good oh, review yeah. now is um is you know because he's because he's he's Anglican through and through. I think he's got this you know such this huge passion to see young evangelists within the churches mentored and released yes. to do stuff. And again, that's the balance to get right. And that's why I think it's great when churches and power churches can play well together. The other danger, by the way, of course, that I think and this one I feel very you know very much on my heart is the the other big mission field that's a massive challenge are Christians in the workplace. You know, I know yeah. so many Christians who have ended up in this separation, you know, Monday through Friday or whatever is, is work. And that's not secular, but it's my Christian faith doesn't make much impact there other than my behaving in a, in a Christian kind of way. But I don't see it as a mission field. Then I come to mm. church on a Sunday and somehow how we break that barrier down. And I think, again, I think both sides, I think parachurch organizations, SOLAS, LICC, others have got a great role to play there. And helping come along and go, look, we don't want to trample on the on what the church is doing in its local community. But also when, you know, Bob from your church gets on the train and goes an hour into London and works in the bank, how do we help resource Bob to be sharing his faith with his friends there? Which is interesting. That blows you. I remember talking to a pastor friend who said he'd done this exercise in his church where he'd gone around, he'd, he'd figured, he found out where everybody in the church worked and then sort of sat down and plotted it on a map and suddenly became really encouraged because he has a church of 60 people 
on a Sunday, well, you know, average working age adults, which feels quite small. But then you look at where those 60 adults were mm. through the week and it's this massive, you know, the, the, the reach of that church has extended in mm. so many ways. But I think a lot of churches sort of struggle sometimes to, to, to sort of see that. So again, I think it's an interplay of church and parachurch. Now, yeah. This sounds like we're turning into a kind of, we need both and we need to, the messages, you know, we're not controversial enough. But I think, I think there are strengths and weaknesses oh. on both sides and both sides occasionally their heads bang together. And both sides as well, I think there's something of, you know, when it's done well, there's something well, th- really of God in both approaches. Well, yeah, and the hard thing is because, and I would have said this even, when when I was a Christian Union president back in the day and we did loads of mission stuff and we we were able to do stuff the local churches simply couldn't do on campus. So d- and it depends, sometimes it depends from university to university. For, in the UK, at least, mainly, if you're a Christian Union, you are under the student union as the body. You are a society of the university. And local churches aren't really allowed on campus to go and like just randomly evangelize. So if you're an officially registered society of the university as a, and you're a bunch of Christians from different denominations and local churches, you are able, you are uniquely able to hold events on campus that you aren't, that's much harder to do if you, if you weren't there. And again, it might have changed nowadays in, in other places, but you, a church couldn't just hire one of the rooms on the, on the campus, for example, and use it because they wanted to host some mission thing. It had to be, usually it had to go through the CU. So they, they would resource the CU and the CU would go and do it and gather the people together as a mission team and do those kind of events. So you've got to think, what what is that? that's where there's a value to having a parachurch organization because it's really the lo- expre- expression of a wider sense of the conglomerated local church on mission. It's, it's a mission team and they can do things, again, that, uh, they're kind of the missionary arm of the church, as UCCF used to um, call it. And I would have said then, um, CUs need to exist because the church isn't doing its job properly, which is why you might say SOLAS needs to exist because the church isn't doing its job properly. But really, in reality, I kind of have probably don't think that anymore because I think God has clearly done so many things through these quote-unquote parachurches, which is a term we've sort of invented that probably can seem pejorative sometimes because it sounds like it's not a proper thing um and therefore it becomes <laughs> it also sounds like parasite which probably isn't helpful um especially with the connotation of they're coming to take the the, the, the brightest and brainiest and, and and best and gifted to come and work with their exciting adventure but really maybe we, it's really this a sense of the church resourcing the work of the kingdom now we can get into kingdom stuff in another episode as well i'm sure but it's sent you know the stuff beyond just the expression of the local church how can we help further what God wants to do? And how are you local, literal local church on your own or even connected to the other churches you're part of, whatever network you're in? How are you going to do some of the stuff that some of these agencies are able to do? Um, you can have a try at it, but there's so many who are dedicatedly focused on that. So I was at a um, um, Society for the Protection of Unborn Children, SPUC conference, just uh, the other weekend. And it just amazed me how much they were able to resource pro-life issues. And churches can care about pro-life issues and try to advocate in their own area. But you've got this kind of international organization, which has got loads of staff and, and a CEO and their budgets. And they're, they're deliberately trying to further this issue. They're lobbying government. They're sending out teams into schools to, to raise awareness. They're doing stuff on the streets. They're doing legislative, legislative, legislative stuff, etc. So it's just kind of like a churches could instead go, right, we care about this issue. Let's support this organization rather than thinking this organization is stealing from us or <laughs> we'd rather these these gifted people worked for us, worked on our staff, and then we could actually house it all within the realm of the church. And actually, I wonder if that's possibly misguided, even though I understand the intention of it to not not lose all of the kind of glory of the church, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's something in there. While you were talking there, it was just interesting. It's, again, I'm just fascinated by this, how this episode, more than many we've talked about in recent episodes, just sort of connects to so many other things. And it reminds me, of we were talking before I pressed record of that essay I, I sent you earlier today, which I think you'd already come across, the Pastors All the Way Down piece mm. Uh, mm. by, by Reese Levity. And um, that's, a, just a, that's a whole essay looking at the, the, the sort of decline of the intellectual life in the life of the, of, of the church. And this is part of what's gone on too, I think, in, in, in some of this. I think one of the reasons why there's been a struggle here is that I think the church has lost its way sometimes in terms of you know, encouraging people to think deeply around issues, whether it's 
the life of the unborn child. You know, that's an issue that you're concerned about. It's not an issue I'm unconcerned about, but I know it's an issue you put a lot of time into. Islam, which is mine. And so then what happens is the danger is the specialists and the people with the passion go off and form their own things. And then, of course, you get the irony that, well, then SPUC and or the organizations I'm involved with naturally get that body of expertise that the church doesn't have, which reinforces mm. that split. So if you were, mm. you know, a, a student wanting to organize a debate on your campus around the issue of pro-life, with respect, you're not going to ring up the local pastor and go, hey, on a, on a, on a, on the off chance, would you be able to come onto my campus yeah. and, and debate the, the this humanist professor on this topic? Likely you're mm-hmm. going to ring SP, SPUC and, um, and so on. So there we get it. We get an issue. But then you get this irony as well. Like there's one of the, my favorite bits in Reese's essay. Where he talked about the fact that um, one of the his, I, there's irony here because actually in some ways what we've actually done is we we in the church we've over the years we've loved to borrow from secular scholarships. So we've we've yeah. sent people out into the campuses. We've had them get their PhDs yeah. and doctorates. We've built on that. And if you don't believe that, trust me, your average Bible commentary. If you're a pastor that you put on a, to prepare your sermon on a Sunday, there'll be massive amounts of linguistics and historic and other work that's been done in by by scholars who are not Christian that's fed into into that and we're riding on those coattails but that's the that's now led to I think the, the church sort of retreating from the academic sphere and hence the pastors all the way down reference that he makes they're not careful in a situation where the church is pastor quoting pastor quoting pastor mm. quoting mm. pastor now I don't know what the answer is there do we need to bring to what extent do we need to bring expertise back into the church do we you know do we encourage should we be encouraging a model where farm we have you know scattered throughout the church we have pastors whose expertise is you know the rights mm. of the unborn child or justice or islamics or whatever and we've had that historically there's been a time where you know pastors have been amazing intellectual giants and been able to play in those those mm. spaces think of the days of the clapham sect and and stuff mm. or um or John Stott or something. John Stott, Not quite John in terms New- of massively academic, but lo- but certainly yeah. Very, but you know, a really big own for sure. A really big, a really big hit. Or actually, you know, mentioned a few minutes ago, Keller actually, who wasn't who wasn't a true blue academic in some ways, but actually was an example of somebody who showed how a pastor can really hold their own academically. And I think one reason why, but he got so quoted and i think overquoted, and because you say he's not perfect he's a mere mortal and there were strengths and weaknesses was because he was rare suddenly along comes somebody who is who is well read who is able to go toe to toe with the secular world so i think part of the reason this 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 split has at times opened up between church and parachurch is i think in the church we've done it we've done it we haven't always done the best job and that's engaging with some of the big intellectual and political issues of the day and uh, and so therefore we've left it to others. Um, so in one sense, the horse is bolted, um, mm. which is why I think the best thing to do is therefore begin where we are now. I would know. I would not want to. You know. I think I don't think anybody in their right mind could, should or could realistically advocate for we need to be done with power churches because uh, I don't think that's even possible. As you said earlier, no. you know, university university mission. You know, churches are not going to get to do that work. And then mission the mission field. Um, you know what we are called to world mission. Uh, as well as local mission, and so as a place of parachurch. But I think, yeah, I think the life of the mind flows into some of this mm. as well. Yeah, and, do, and you know what? That, that does link in, actually, back to, not not to make the whole thing back link back to New Frontiers, but only because my own experience, but also because they are one of the strongest exemplars of local church is is the kind of hub of what where everything ought to be happening in connection with apostolic network. Um, but it, it kind of makes me think of the the fact that now some of those charismatic networks from the 80s are more happy to think of the intellectual life of the mind than they were previously so most of them would have been accused of anti-intellectualism and that would be partly true and sometimes with good reason i think there's loads of things to be wary of and cautious of when you think of the academy just from someone who's been on the in, on the inside of it in, in various guises both within the university departments and um Bible college world and validated world and seeing all of the bureaucracy that happens and, and corrupts um, and ego ego trips that happen in, in that world with many of those who are supposed to be doing the Lord's work, but really it becomes about building one's own career. Um, that can be a huge problem. And now I think some of those um, people who were previously cut off from the life of the mind and the in- intellectual world are um, kind of excited about it because it's this forbidden land that they didn't have any access to previously. So now it's kind of cool to be thinking about getting your master's or your PhD, that kind of thing. Um, but 
when it was kind of let's do all the training in-house because we don't want to trust a parachurch like a bible college or heaven forbid a university that was again part of the worry that we need to sort of separate the church must be separate she must come out of of babylon or egypt um and i think i do genuinely i do think yeah, there is clearly that uh, I, I am uh, something of a separatist as well <laughs> at heart, in the sense of um, wanting to say that there are things to be concerned about. There's reasons why the rest, the church restoration movement, needed to happen. And woe to us if we forget those, because we're so excited about being au fait with all these societal things that are going on and these cool groups that we can partner with. Amen. To partner with the groups. I think that, but we've got a great foundation now. I think there has been a great foundation laid because people re- rediscovered how important the local church is um, and how it needs to be featuring in mission so that we don't have a situation of where the church becomes the very humdrum, um, banal situation and then the exciting stuff happens elsewhere. I think of people who used to go on YWAM gap years, for example, you know, youth with a mission, be doing a radical discipleship and evangelism and stuff all day long come back to church, be really bored, and often end up not really getting on with church and not inputting into the church and being very patient with the church, but really kind of zipping off and going, right, I'm, I'm just going to float around the different places or maybe join some other conglomerate of people that are more like me, like like a CU. So I won't go to church, I'll just go to the CU, or I'll just go and do this or that. Because it was it appealed to the kind of young excitability, like I mentioned earlier. And I think of another um, example of going to a conference one year and and I was on a stand for Cliff actually doing a kind of you know selling courses kind of thing, and chatting to these people. Yeah, coming just, at I didn't I didn't think that I didn't think that Cliff ever took a stand for anything. So that's encouraging to hear that <laughs> that was the case. Oh, there's many things they'll take a stand on. It's just what they take a stand on and against. <laughs> um, inclusivity has its limits. Um, Absolutely. And I think, um, it, I was chatting to this person who was telling me about this conference they were going to. They, showed, they gave me a flyer for it. Oh, it's called One Nation One Day. I don't know if I've mentioned this before or not. Um, and I was like, what on earth is that? One nation, one day. It's like, yeah, we're just going to blitz. And we're going to go. We did Honduras last year. We're doing Venezuela this year. And I think it's Peru the, the year after. And it's like they, they kind of do this epic day of mission. And they, they spend a lot of time and resources trying to get all these young people ready to go and do it. And it's probably a great day. But it's the notion that some of the people who do it are like, done. That is like Honduras, done. We've missioned it. It's kind of been blitzed. Um, and now, now we're going to move on to the next nation. And like, I think, well, I, I don't think like there's no crime in Honduras now, or you know, I don't think suddenly all the problems are gone. And the danger is, it's it's exciting for the people involved in it. But can you can you find a way to, um, I guess, channel that missional fruit into the local church? That's always been the trouble. That's what Billy Graham had the trouble with, but worked very hard with Billy Graham's organ, you know, evangelistic association, got in lots of. Um, critique over that was critiqued regularly but actually they, they went to a massive efforts to work with local churches they, they spent a lot of resources and time before they did a campaign somewhere working with local churches to ensure that when someone went forward gave their life to christ at a meeting they wouldn't just be sent off nowhere so the challenge is can there's this random mission that kind of happens can you put it into the way that the new testament pattern is of people getting saved and the gospel being proclaimed and, the, and mission going forth but then added into the local church a body of believers because that's because the gifts that god sends through his people are significant and i think that's probably the kind of stuff that again the apostolic networks and other churches who focus on the local church are are getting at they're saying well how can it be the case that all these gifts god sends like one corinthians for example one Corinthians 12 you hear that that long list of different different parts of the body how if, if we're sending those out and they're they're doing something separate to the body. That seems a bit weird. So how can we bring them together so that they the, the one serves the other? So you do need a strong emphasis on the church being massive. And you don't want people flitting around going, oh, the church is just this kind of not very interesting thing. But you also want to see, yeah, what is God actually doing? Um, how can the church resource what, what else is happening in the kingdom beyond their local um, kind of province, as it were? Yeah, I think there's a lot in that, and I was listening away thinking, "Gosh, we could really, uh, we could really poke some bears and and do a whole uh, oh, episode poke, on, on poke away, poke the bears." No, no, no. I was thinking we do there's a whole episode there to be done on on apostolic models of church question mark because oh, yeah. uh, the, oh. the iconoclast in me is like, well, I, I the trouble is this is the other problem, of course. You know, and you've been through theological education. You you know, you're trained to sit there and go, "Yeah, I like that," but I'm not. I have questions here, and I mm. I think there's so much that's good in apostolic models of church. There's also massive for me. There are still massive some massive questions. One is how they play well with other with other churches, and I think 
I'm not accusing New Frontiers of this, but of going, I have seen some apostolic models of the church where it turns very rapidly into, well, we are the church and those who are outside in other unwashed denominations. And what I find hilarious, you end up at the Catholic church by the back door. <laughs> you just basically end up with, yeah. you know, there's almost that you're a second rate Christian if you're not within our networks. There's no salvation um, outside the apostolic network. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, and I think that becomes interesting. That can be the, that can be the danger. And mm. now you don't have to do that. And, and again, to use my own local context, I mean, what I think is amazing is that there's a, there's a new frontiers church here in Swindon who have actually been at the center of working on the, churches together in swindon kind of stuff good news for swindon which has a lot of the very not just it's not a general suck in everybody but anyone who's missional and wanting to reach out and we meet and we use their building because one of the biggest buildings and it's fantastic because you've got the new frontiers guys you've got the anglicans you've got you know all kinds of folks going on there and to go yeah this shows to me how it can be done really really well that you can believe very strongly in your values but also go you know what we also recognize there are others (laughs) outside our networks are doing are doing good stuff, uh, good stuff too. But you're, the, the thing that struck me there that's interesting, that YWAM example you gave mm. got me thinking. And, and uh, you, know, you know, I really am coming back to of all the issues we've talked about recently on Pod of the Gaps. This is one of the most fascinating ones because there are so many sub-questions. And one mm. of the things there that strikes me as interesting is you're absolutely right to recognise there is the, there is that massive issue with Christ, young Christians going off on YWAM or some kind of other, other missional experience when they're young, coming back full of the joys of everything, mm-hmm. and then you know struggling when they refit into church. Same goes true as you know for theological education. You can go and do yes. theology, yeah. and then you struggle because you're trained. And I'm, I'm sure you've had the same experience as I do. Sometimes you sit there on church on a Sunday and go, I love what's being preached, but I've just got five questions, perfectly good ones off the text, because we're trained to read the texts you know, a slightly different way sometimes. And I go, now I've just taught myself to write notes and go, okay, I need to dig a commentary off the shelf and go think about this. But, you know, I know that can some- be a problem too, right? It can be, that, that can be a negative. Yeah, yeah it can. Not thinking of the heart of what God might say to you. You're Correct. thinking about how can I dissect it? Yeah. Or, or or even just innocently thinking about, okay, I want to read this text really well and what's what's going on here and what's the, what's the intent of, of what God's revealing. Anyway, that's by the by. The flip side of it is... So there was a big study done in in Canada the, the year I the year I left by one of the big evangelical organisations there the equivalent of Evangelical Alliance in in Canada um, I forget the name of it now come back to me after I finish pressing after I've stopped the recording and um, anyway they did this big study looking at they were interested in this statistic that when young Christians go to university mm-hmm. um, about seventy percent walk away from their faith that university not dissimilar stats here it's a it's a yeah, tragic yeah, stat yeah. actually but they flipped it around and went well rather than look at those who leave because that work's been done let's look at those who remain and see if we can figure out are there are there sort of some common links for in terms of building resilience into young christians that that that, that lessons that churches could learn and it was interesting actually there were I mean, I, there were about four or five things they came up with three of the things on the list were, were that really fascinating me were apologetics was in the top three wasn't phrased as apologetics, but churches that, right. that take young people's questions seriously, don't avoid them, help them explore them. If you've got, you know, you've got a question about faith, let's not run away from it, let's dig into it, let's help you wrestle it through, because that builds super strong, resilient Christians. Um, tr- churches where there's genuine transparency, where you know you, people see the Christian faith lived out authentically, including the warts. When things go wrong, we talk about them. When if you're a faithful, you know, if you're a faithful Christian and suffering hits, don't hide that away. Let young people see that you know stuff happens but the the, the third one is where i was going well global church young people who've been on some form of overseas mission something it was almost anything it wasn't didn't have to be wireman but something overseas outside their context um increases resilience tremendously and the thinking was of the authors of the report hemorrhaging faith i think as they dug into it was if you grew up as a young christian thinking the church is just the four walls of your community so if you grew up thinking the church is just the New Frontiers Church in Sheffield as a young person, just these four walls of our building, or you know, you're just the four walls of the church we meet in in Swindon. If my kids grow up going, that is all churches, mm-hmm. you get this very small vision of church and you may well struggle. If you get if you realize, no, I'm part of a global church, I am part of a community of God's people that, that includes Christians in Africa and India and other parts of the world where life is freaking difficult. And I may have some challenges in the West, but they are first world problems. And instantly church history, I think, does this too. Of When you go, I am part of this you know, great cloud of witnesses that go back through time, making the vision bigger, which means, again, we're back to parachurch has something to play here. I mean, I know as a church, you can round up 15 young people and take them off on a mission trip on your own. You can do that. 
and I think that, that's fine too. To, to repaint the uh, the school that's been repainted. To times. repaint an orphanage in you know Yugoslavia or some or something. But that really stuck me, struck with me, and I have actually met lots of younger Christians actually that play that story out. That you know a massive part of their growing up as Christians was that experience of global Christianity of going. It's not just you know, Swindon Baptist Church with 150 people on a Sunday morning, but it's it's more than that. And, I, and again, I think that I think those. I don't think that's either or. I think you can bring those things together. But it's also again a sobering reminder. There are two cha- two dangers here. One is the you think the world the grass is greener out there. It's far more exciting. Church is boring. The other danger is yeah, church is boring. Get with it. You know, this is the best that there is. Forget about Christians on the other side of the world. Just you know, go and clean yeah. the toilets. <clears throat> Now, I think the interesting thing about that is the apostolic networks would say, or at least the, the good ones, uh, would say, <laughs> that's what we're doing. I love doing. the caveat. They, they would, yeah, the caveat. They'd say that's what literally the point of global mission is actually why you need apostolic mission, because apostolic means sent. And so um, Paul, in, it, the, yeah. what Paul is doing as an apostle is connecting churches beyond just their locality. So, yeah, local church focused means yeah where the church is a family and you're connected and really under authority it really matters and people know you so you're not just kind of flitting around and doing whatever you want but at the same time your vision is lifted because you're part of something bigger like you're together on a mission was one of the phrases new frontiers used to use and or still uses um so i think that you do need to have both but i think you're right that the challenge then is <clears throat> does the apostolic network do that and they might connect they connect people to churches all over the world they gather leaders together train them up and connect them but generally only within that particular network so then it becomes really hard to be rejoice in the stuff that's happening in other churches because you're kind of going well you know if you're really about and if you're really about the lord's work you know you'll, you'll be with us why, why not just join with us um it'll be it'll be it'll make more sense <clears throat> and in reality god may be doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things with different churches now there's a line there there's a line of like you don't just go, well, anyone who calls himself a church is a church. Anyone who um, identifies as a church may not actually be a church. And I think that's important. There have to be hard lines that are drawn on, on around the gospel and around the word of God. So we do need to think about those like, these people who often set up these churches together things um, in cities, not the official organization churches together, but you know, ecumenical gatherings. It can often be the liberals who set those up who go, hey, Come and let's come and agree. Like yes. one church, one Lord, one baptism. We've all been baptized, right? We've all we all we all worship Jesus. And then you realize when they say Jesus, I think they're talking about some someone else. Um, when they start talking about why they're a Christian or what they think Jesus is for or against. And so I think we do need to have those lines, but somehow we have to find a way of local churches being properly a family and un- you know, connected to one another so that you're not just as I say, not part of any church technically part of every church but not really any church at the same time genuinely believing that the other churches in your city are your co-laborers in christ and that they're your brothers and sisters i think we can probably say yes it's great that they're a church but we don't know anything about what's going on there and they're in our city or our town or we sometimes even village um, um, and there's not really much connection there which just seems odd when you the only model we have in the new testament is that there's a church of believers in this city or in this province so all of the believers who, who meet there and I'm thinking you know you think of the beginning of one in one corinthians one paul refers to the church in every place so the so he's talking yes. to corinth but he's saying you're connected to all of the christians who call upon the name of the lord in every place so there's a globe global element to it but there's also there's a locality that there are places where god has raised people up and it might be that bike shed in north korea um and and it you're connected to them, which is wonderful. Again, I think, I think uh, 1 Peter 3 comes to mind. You know, the suffering that you're going through, know that it's also being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So, so we do need to see that. We can see it in a kind of general abstract sense. Oh, yes, our brothers and sisters around the world usually are being persecuted and we're not. But that may start to change. Um, so we see it generally, but I don't know if we, if we really see that no. properly because we sort of only see the brothers and sisters as those who are in our local church. And I think biblically speaking, that's not right, is it? We, we actually have to see yeah, that we're part of a you're, massive family of God. You're dead right. And that, incidentally, is, is I don't think we need any argument for one because I think we're, we're landing on a kind of, it really is both and, it's how you play those together. But, uh, you know, if uh, if you were to ask me, you know, you know, okay, okay, boil it right down, what would be your argument for some parachurch things that are desperate and necessary because the local church can't do them? 
I mean, the suffering church should be one. The work that things yeah. like Open Doors and stuff does. Absolutely. Again, a bit like CU stuff. I go CU stuff yeah. because the church can't go onto the campus. However much yeah. you might want to, you cannot do it. Yeah. And then the Open Doors uh, and stuff or Barnabas Fund type stuff where that, that where that work is just the very nature of it and the, and the sensitivity of it and the expertise that you need. I mean, there's lots of other stuff. You say, yeah, we could blow up every Bible college. We could recreate that. We could get some big churches that have got resources to come together and create training hubs and, you know, other churches perhaps, you know, come to them or even then you're slightly something becoming now parachurch. Um, but I think you're right. And I think that ability to plug people into that, that, that wider sphere. And again, yet another example of yet another topic that spins off this as you, as you sat there talking about apostolic stuff, I was like, you know, one of the problems we've got is of course, as we well know, when the Reformation happened, you know, the Reformers' vision was not 84,337 Protestant denominations all charging around the place. It was really, right, the Catholic Church is broken. Can we either reform the darn thing or can we just start another single entity but that is biblical, right? And to go, if we had that, if playing real, you know, you know, sort of uh, counterfactuals, if it was really you had the Catholic friends over here and then over here there were the Protestants, one apostolic denomination, um, some of this stuff would be much easier because you could go, okay, we don't have to think about the fact that however strongly apostolic a model we want to do, we've got to play nicely with our friends in the Baptist church down the road who don't have that model, but are an evangelical church where the Bible is taught and it's, everything is good. They're just, their, their structure is slightly different. Yeah. So again, yeah. partly it's like so many things, isn't it? You, how you, sometimes you have to work with the starting from here thing. It's like on certain yeah. politics. It's so so issues like that. We are where we are. How do we work forward from here, biblically and faithfully? But we, you know, there's that old saying, isn't there? Don't let the don't let the 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 perfect become the enemy of the good. Of going, we're not we're not in that perfect world, but we can still figure out together as as Christians committed to Scripture and and to God's work through the local church. What does that work look like? Rather than acting kind of as though these other Christians basically don't exist on mission with us they, they exist somewhere we know they're there but we don't really do anything about it yeah um and it's really interesting you bring up the you know i was, I was well i was at the catholic element because i was at while i was at the society of protection of unborn children conference uh, it was really intriguing to me that this is probably another episode <laughs> how many how many we, someone should be keeping count of this kind of the kind of sub clock in the corner ticking up how many yeah. different topics we've come up with over it's the last diagram. this is going to be the center of the venn diagram of the part of the gaps of all the episodes will come together but it, on the it was intriguing to me that i'd say 95 percent of the people there were roman catholic and there are hardly any protestants so i was weird i was like a complete uh, fish out of water chatting with various people It was really fun and really good debates now it, it is interesting the kind of boundaries there in, in a way, you could argue that the Roman Catholic institution, local church speaking, is a parachurch because it's actually an organization which is separate to the local church. Now, of course, it's governance structure. The church is like, it's really more like a denomination, but a denominational structure arguably is like a parachurch. It's performing functions that a local church um, cannot perform. Now, of course, Roman Catholics would vehemently disagree with this. Um, but I think I find it interesting that you can still find interesting points of connection and brotherhood uh, crossing some of these lines when you when you do realize that that list of agreement is really high and i don't think you, it's very hard to cross some of those divides between uh, roman catholicism and, and protestantism and eastern orthodoxy as well but i actually think that there's more unity across with with, sele- with kind of remnants within those denominations than people have realized in terms of are people really gung-ho for christ would, would they die for him are they are they are they sold out for him do they have they really heard the gospel you can you can actually hear the gospel even if technically there are many mechanisms within your church or denomination which are denying the gospel or are um at least hindering it to, to a great extent so it's just interesting how you can sometimes hmm. find that but it does make me think yeah what maybe it would be really good if if though as you say there's common denominator things and that can get really boring and wishy-washy very quickly because people go well let's just agree on like very basic things that don't really matter very much or no one's really arguing about actually wouldn't it be good if we actually had a more robust space to actually debate stuff like the like they did in the, in the early councils of the church where they're actually debating theology properly and, and saying this is actually meaningful we're trying to get to a place where that is possible now of course we have the world council of churches and we have um we have lots of ecumenical ventures which try to do this, but it just seems like it ends up being co-opted by by the liberal academics who tend to sort of be very nuanced and nice about it, but actually 
it's all smoothed over and there's this desperation to bring the churches together but I just wonder if on a local church level at the very least you could partner with churches with a space where you can actually discuss the things you disagree on but actually see if that that might help you to get to a place where you you can partner together in mission um, from a place of wider agreement that that isn't wishy-washy and so vague that it becomes very you know boring as it were. Well, you heard it here first, listeners. Aaron Edwards is contemplating going over to Rome. There we are. Well, I'm going east and west. Oh, no, what am I? I'm going south and east. I'm You're going, going south and east. At the, um, there's base people, people in these other places. I will, yeah. I mean, I would agree with you to the extent that in my own field, you know, in Islamic studies, one of the things I was intrigued noticing over the years was that whereas a lot of the mainline Protestant denominations were doing either nothing or absolutely useless when it came to Islam. I mean, occasion, you know, some of the some of the wishy washy stuff that came out of you know liberal bits of the Anglican Church. You just look at it and go, quite frankly, better if you did nothing. And then I came across, you know, one or two, you know, well, actually more than one or two, quite quite a good number of, of Catholic scholars of Islam who were fantastic, who were robust, who were missional, who were sort of really standing up to to Islam and uh, and preaching Christ. I remember coming away really with my head confused, going, "Why is?" <laughs> What is going on here? Because everything in me tells me that I really should be quite suspicious. But actually, quite frankly, what you just presented was astonishing. Um, so, so yeah, that's a whole other. There we are. That's a whole other episode uh, yeah, to be absolutely. to be to be had there. Let me just do one. For, I know you, you sound like you're in the mode of you're in the banister mode of rounding up. <clears throat> so I just want to do a quick footnote before you uh, do that. A quick footnote. Uh, listeners, listeners will know. Listeners will get the. Uh, they'll get, they'll, they'll, they can tell our tones of voice. You know, change. Our tones of around right about the fifty. <laughs> Andy's getting anxious, um, but I, I, I just wanted to come back to the previous thing that you brought up again. I think it's really important as we close out the issue of parachurch church church. The stuff we talked about earlier in terms of um, <clears throat> excitement of young people or wanting to get involved in something else that may take away from the church, like the YWAM example I gave earlier of someone being excited and because they're involved in stuff. I had similar. Um, feelings myself sometimes even though I had the strong conviction of the local church so I was really never in danger of of, of I guess being disenfranchised with the church because I've been so well taught I think in terms of having a great high vision of the local church but I did see a disconnect and I did see wow it was it was pretty fun it was really cool to be able to do mission all the time uh, in the in the CU world where you're living across the road from everyone you're living next door you're you're doing stuff all the time like if you're doing a, a one-year gap year doing a mission somewhere it does feel like isn't this what christianity is supposed to be isn't this what we're supposed to be doing all the time and you might even get it in a local church setting working as an intern for a year going wow i'm really in the thick of the action why can't i do this all the time and there's a well, because you've got to have normal life you've got to kind of you know then you have a family then you have a career you've got a mortgage you've got all this other stuff to work out you've got these responsibilities which you don't have if you're a gap year student or a student um, or a young person a teenager or something so therefore you then have to settle into this very predictable pattern. Now, there obviously are really good things about order and, and pattern, I think, that are important for building up the body. So we, that's where I think we need to critique the let's make everything exciting and razzmatazz all the time. That is a problem. We do want the saints to be sanctified and to be um, discipled well, which does require order and it does require structure. That's literally what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians. Don't just be like, hey, the latest exciting thing from the Spirit is going to completely zap us, throw us on the ground all the time, and then nothing really obviously edifying that you can actually take away and build upon. Um, but at the same time, it is a, we do want those people who see the excitement of what mission can be and discipleship can be in community and bring that flavour to the local church. It, it isn't okay that the church often can be quite bland and insipid in, in its life or we just get into kind of a structured programs just for the sake of keeping the thing going loads of churches function like that and you can you can agree you can actually sympathize as you said earlier with the ywammer who comes back and goes why can't we why can't we like be a bit more like acts <laughs> and, you, and you don't just want to say ah oh, they're there you'll, you'll understand one day when you have some responsibilities because there are things in the book of acts which should challenge us and go wow they are house to house they're sharing their possessions they're really for one another. They're really living a life as a as a family. And so I think there are many local churches who who could hear that need to hear that message because there's a reason why they're losing their young people and their uh, to other situ- other agencies who don't really want to uh, get involved in what they're doing because we we need to see that kind of life, that real dynamic life of the spirit in in amongst the people on mission, um, rather than just keeping everything at arm's length and having your own individual life and then just sort of 
having the church as this thing over here, which doesn't seem like your life is that exciting uh, for the kingdom and for mission, if that makes sense. I think it does. No, I think I shall let your footnote stand because I think I've kind of said everything I I feel the need to say on this. I'd say I'm just, again, smiling at the, the number of tangents we've gone off on this episode has been uh, has been amazing. But the serious point behind that is I think I think it does show that we at Pole of the Gaps do sort of stumble across these episodes, these issues that we don't always realise it. Aaron and I didn't always realise it, do we? I think at the time that actually it's a kind of hub which links into other things. And th- and this issue that started on, you know, an innocent looking discussion around church and parachurch has links to what you think mission is, what you think the church is, how we engage the world, uh, you know, the church, the life of the, of the mind, church structures and governance. All the, It's fascinating all these things all these things flow into this. And I think, you know, my concern is simply is that you said it earlier that, you know, there used to be in the early church farmer or these places to gather together and thrash this stuff out. I think we need sort of forums. I think we lack those in the contemporary world. There are, there are like evangelical networks that bring people together for unity. Sometimes they're run by liberals. Sometimes you've got the evangelical alliances of this world that do a great job. But I think I see less opportunities for evangelicals to get together you know those who believe passionately in scripture and the holy spirit and mission all these things to get together okay let's create spaces where we can we can love one another as brothers and sisters but also go let's talk this stuff through and not be afraid of of disagreeing one of the things i loved about my bible college days actually at london bible college was you know coming in that case from a baptist background and not having that until that point been exposed to really committed christians in other networks some of the apostolic ones anglicans and so on I remember it being a real eye-opener for me to sit around, particularly the lunch tables, and go, oh, okay, let's talk this, let's talk this stuff through. Let's uh let's think diff- let's think together how um you know how we can wrestle through some of these big these big questions. Well, this has been a pod of the gaps. Literally, as I ended my statement there, Aaron's power went and he disappeared. The lights went out and disappeared from view. So I shall wrap the show up by saying I hope you've enjoyed that wide-ranging discussion that Aaron and I have had and uh, do join us again in a few, in a week or in a couple of weeks time for another episode on another topic where we help you think about some of the great gaps uh, in a, in culture that the church isn't exploring. Do uh, if you like this, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, do share it with your friends, uh, like it, uh, do offer it, write a review for us. That helps us get more traction. And if there are topics that you think Aaron and I should be covering, do send those into us through social media as we love to have that growing list of topics we want to kick around and pop the gap. So I hope you've enjoyed listening and uh, bye for now. Thank you.